electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee, and today for Scott Wapner, inflation rates and recession fears. How much has been priced into this market as we head into the final stretch of the month and quarter? And is the second half rebound in store or not? Our investment committee today, Stephanie Link, Michael Farr, joining me here on set, Jim Labenthal and Josh Brown. Let's get a check on the markets this hour. We are sitting pretty much near session lows right now. S&P 500, 3854. We are at session lows right now. In fact, 1.2% is a decline. NASDAQ notching a 2% decline here. We are uh, holding pretty steady on rates. Yield on the 10 years, 3.2%. What do you make of the action, Jim? Well, look, we're in a very complicated situation, Melissa. There's a lot on the table, whether it's uh, the war in Ukraine, inflation, interest rates, recession fears. I remain of the opinion that we're in a growth slowdown, not a recession. But the the proof of that is yet to come. To simplify things a little bit and also leave some uh, things for the rest of the, of the panel to discuss, I would simply say that inflation for me is the most important thing. Um, yes, we have the PCE on Thursday, but it's a read for May. We already know that May inflation numbers are terrible. What I'm really waiting for are the June figures, which will come out in two weeks, July 13th. I hate, and it's been all year, that we've been sort of hanging on edge about one number. Uh, but I'm going to do it once again because if inflation comes in better than expected, it's been a long time since that's happened, but if it does, I think you're set up for the belief that maybe a rally could stick. Until then, every rally is guilty until proven innocent. Last thing I'll say on this is there are a lot of pieces of evidence that would suggest inflation has peaked, whether it's a lot of commodities coming down, whether it's inventory to sales ratios. The problem with what I just said, I will freely own up to this, is that I've said it before and been wrong. Right. Um Josh Brown, we heard from Nike last night. We'll, we'll get into the report itself in more detail a little bit later on. But what they said was they still face elevated ocean freight costs. They still face FX yeah. headwinds. All of these things which indicate that companies are not. Inflation may have peaked, but they still face headwinds that may not have been priced in. I think Nike is a really big head fake because they hmm. said they see absolutely no sign of any kind of slowdown among the consumer. And that's probably true. And actually, if you look at how they manufactured this earnings beat, a lot of that came as a result of direct consumer sales, which are more profitable for them than going through other channels. So Nike is doing really well. I think uh, they're a very specific case. Go ahead and take a look at the other consumer discretionary names right now. Just a handful that I follow as a gauge of what's really happening. Ex-Nike, Home Depot off 2.5%, Lowe's down 2 Um uh, uh, pretty much Elta's down, TJ Maxx, Ross Stores, pretty much everything is down, uh, Best Buy. And that's the real picture of the U.S. consumer, not this one-day wonder pop from, from Nike um, having something positive to say. And the evidence of that is go look at StockX, go look at GOAT, go look at the sneaker reselling sites. The prices have fallen through the floor. Um, and that was a very buoyant market when crypto was up and the NASDAQ was up and everybody was working from home. The real consumer 
is not as excited to buy that second or third pair of Air Jordans for $900 on a resale site. So that's the real consumer, not what Nike is talking about. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Nike ultimately succumbs to this weakening consumer picture. And the evidence of why the market agrees with me is this thing is barely doing anything on the heels of a pretty good earnings quarter because I think the street has already figured this out. So bigger picture, the supply chain problems are still here. Jim may be right. Inflation may have peaked. I think for some categories, we know definitively that it has. The problem is going from 8.5% inflation to 7.5% inflation does not do anything for the reality on the ground amongst Main Street, amongst the consumer. So I think... Uh, as Shakespeare said, the die is cast. This is the world that we now live in. We have to accept it. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Gauge hit uh, 50 in June. That is the lowest reading since 1952. Please understand, that includes the aftermath of 9-11. That is what the consumer mindset is today. And we just have to live in that reality. And that's why all these stock market rallies keep failing. Alia Yachta Est. The die is cast in Latin. Look at you. Uh, Steph- I took <laughs> Latin for so many years. Um, Stephanie Link, I know that you've been waiting for earnings, but I think that this whole, that, that what I, it's funny because Josh is talking about the positive out of Nike, and there's positive out of Nike for sure, but the negative out of Nike really underscores the notion that perhaps analyst estimates still need to come down. Goldman Sachs came out with a note today saying profit margin forecasts, they certainly need to come down. And I know you've been waiting, you've been one of these people saying, Earnings season is going to hold the key because that's when we're going to get a real indication as to how companies are faring with this elevated inflation, how they're coping with it, and what the outlook looks like. Yeah, and we'll get to Nike in the in the next block or two. Um, in terms of inflation, the Fed, recession, these have been kind of plaguing the market all year long. This is the reason why we have seen multiples come down from 21.5 times to about just under 16 times currently, right? In, and ironically, Melissa, earnings have actually held up, right? Up 10% is expected. Okay, maybe that has to come down. But so far, earnings are actually headed in the opposite direction, uh, so there's, there's, there's that. I think key for the overall market will be second quarter earnings because we don't know what's going to happen. What we do know is demand is absolutely on fire across the board. And it wasn't just Nike that said it. Accenture has said it last week as well. Uh, a lot of companies in conference, doing a, in conference season talking about demand is holding up. It's obviously the cost side that's very concerning and a problem. But now you have China reopening. And so you have a, another demand equation that's probably going to perk up to offset some of the cost pressures. And eventually the cost pressures will ease. And the fact that China actually is reopening means the ports can actually get less clogged, right? So that because that was a big problem when they shut again. So in my mind, keys for the second quarter, what I'm watching, you mentioned margins. Of course, margins are very important. I talk about operating leverage all the time, but I don't think every single sector is going to be plagued with margin pressure. I don't think the energy sector will be at all. I don't think materials will be. And those two sectors have pricing power. Um, I also think some of the industrials, some of the staples as well. Tomorrow, General Mills reports, and I know it's not glamorous, but it's going to be very interesting to hear what they have to say. Organic growth is expected to be up 9 
9%. Price mix, though, up 12. So let's see how they can handle inflation versus prices and versus demand destruction. The other thing I'm watching during earnings season, in addition to margins, is currency. Because we have already heard from Microsoft. We heard from Accenture last week as well. That's going to be a headwind. I don't pay too much attention one way or the other to currency, but sometimes you get these knee-jerk reactions, possibly giving a buying opportunity. But I, I want to just be very clear. I do not think that demand is going to disappoint. I think it's going to be the cost side. And let's see how these companies can actually navigate through that. Michael Farr, your thoughts. I think everybody really wants this to be over with. And, and I, you know, I've been a little bit worried for a while. I do think we will ultimately go into recession here. But when Josh Brown starts quoting Shakespeare, I have to rethink everything all of a sudden. I mean, that kind of t- puts me back on my on my heels a little bit. It really does. Uh, I congratulate you, though, Josh. That was pretty good. Uh, uh, M- Melissa, we've seen the banks go from there's not going to be a recession to maybe there's going to be a recession. And now the recession's going to be a mild recession. And it's only going to last for two quarters. We're trying to script this. We're also seeing people say the Fed is going to raise rates and maybe pause in the fall now. Maybe they're going to reassess. And by this time next year, we could see the Fed beginning to ease. We're trying to come up with this great rosy scenario and script for the market that makes us all feel better. And I'm sorry, this time we need to be data dependent. You can't let your feelings kind of lead this particular charge. I read a book years ago when wish replaces thought. It's really a bad thing to do. You have to think your way through. So uh, I think we're probably slowing. If you believe the Fed, they've got another 150 basis points to hike. That takes us to 325 on Fed funds by September. If you go to 350 then on a two-year, and who knows where that 10-year goes in an inverted curve, but on a normal curve, it's over 5%. So they're changing the price of money, and I don't think you trust a bottom in the stock market until the Fed has indicated that they are nearing the end of that hiking cycle. And I don't hear that happening yet. So, Melissa, I'm going to respond by leading with my chin, which I always do, which makes me get punched in the face. But that's OK. I'm used to it. Uh, Josh, you made a very good point um, about seven and a half percent inflation just not being enough. And I would totally agree. I think the question that I have is whether Jay Powell is right that inflation could come down rather quickly. And here's why it might. Now, I'm doing a lot of reading, as I'm sure many of us are, on the bullwhip effect uh, in supply chain management. And it does seem to lead to things like what we've got to target, which is and Walmart, for that matter, which just an oversupply of inventory, which is going to lead to cost cutting. And that may just be the tip of the iceberg. You put on top of that the cracks, and they're only cracks in the labor market, but people being let off at uh, some of the beneficiaries of the pandemic. Sure, they're going to find jobs, but it's going to ease the pressure off of of wage pressures. Um, You put this all together, and Michael, I heard what you just said about, you know, everybody's got their narrative, everybody's got their theme, people want it to be over, including me. But actually, there's some credibility, I think, to what I just said. Including me, too. Having said, you know, we've got to see how it plays out. Be careful what you wish for. Yes. Because if you get this rapid drop in inflation, it will be for one reason only, which is that the Fed has thrown us into a technical recession. And by the way, this is happening on a parallel track around the world. Can I posit one thought and maybe a quick fast recession Please. is exactly what we need. Okay. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. Right. I'm not against it. I mean, it. isn't that a natural part of the business no. cycle? Recession, I'm not against recessions it. Recessions happen. So, so we, we, hit, we hit a recession. We had one that lasted a week in March of 2020. And it's interesting. For moral reasons, 
we decided, no, we're actually not going to have one. And every branch of government, every central bank around the world, uh, Democrats, it's like the one thing in the last 10 years I can remember us all agreeing on, other than Gangnam Style, right? (laughs) So you have two things the world agreed on. Gangnam Style is awesome, and we should not have a recession and ruin people's lives over a COVID lockdown. We all agreed, and we did that. But you have to pay at some point. You have to actually have that recession to cleanse some of the excess. And arguably, uh, it would have been preferable to have done this last year rather than continuing to stimulate the housing market for no apparent reason. So we didn't do that, and we're doing it now. Okay, so is the worst thing on earth a technical, short, shallow recession? Definitely not. In fact, I would argue it's preferable to us pretending that we don't have to have one and then having a horrible one because we keep doing things to forestall it. So that's where we are now. I don't think the majority of people on Main Street would have their lives materially altered by a recession in this case because of how tight the labor market is. And if we lose a bunch of executives at Netflix, but we manage to keep very high employment among nurses, truckers, people working in oil fields, it's really not that horrible. So I think it's okay if we're headed in that direction. I think it's okay if it happens sooner than later. But again, be careful what you wish for on inflation coming down because it's probably going to be as a result of the Fed throwing us in there. Last thing on this, we always overshoot. You cannot ever point to a single recession that we've had where the multiple, yes. where the multiple settled at an average historical multiple. I don't care what you follow, price book, uh, book to market, uh, price earnings, forward, backward. You ain't getting out of this thing at 16 times, especially if earnings estimates start to fall apart in the second half. So I'm not trying to come on here as the gloomiest person in America. I'm just trying to be real with people. Go look at the last bout of inflation from the early 80s and where the earnings multiple settled out at. It was like nine. It was not 17. You ain't getting 17 this time either. It is a pendulum. We saw the pendulum swing very far to one side, and now we're going to see it swing back. And I agree, it's not going to swing back right to 15 and a half, Seth. Um, But where do you stand in terms of this notion that maybe what the markets, I, I hate to say this, but maybe what's best for the markets is that we get this thing over with, rip the Band-Aid off, have the recession, have it short, have it done, and we know that stagflation is not a scenario. Look, I mean, I, I just don't think that you can get really, really aggressive when you, when you have a Fed that kind of has blinders on right at the moment, and, and they want to raise 75 in July, 75 in September. Uh, we'll see. They say they want to be data dependent, but they're so behind the curve. They got behind the curve, and now they're even more behind the curve. And, like, they're not really seeing the real time. Here's what I want to say about inflation. Target and Walmart can discount all they want, and that's great for the consumer. That's great for the holiday season, by the way. But it's a small piece of the CPI. Rents, wages, healthcare, education, these are all very sticky parts of inflation. And so for those that are saying that we see peak inflation, I say, yeah, maybe it's at peak, but we are going to stay elevated for quite some time. And I think the core PCE deflator is much more important for the Fed and their decision making than the CPI. They, they look at the core PCE deflator and want it to be two. It's going to come in at about 4.8%. So what if it comes at 4.5? That's still really, really high. And so they're going to continue to be very, very aggressive on rates 
as long as that number is really high. And not only is it, you look at CPI2, PPI, unit labor costs are also the employment cost index. These are other areas that we have to keep an eye on. But inflation is going to stay very high for a very long time. And therefore, you do not want to own the long duration assets, the growth, growthier stocks. And you want to continue to find the companies that are going to benefit from inflation. And those are the sectors I mentioned earlier. All right, let's bring in senior economics reporter Steve Leisman, who's at the NYSC. He spoke with New York Fed President John Williams about rates and recession fears in an exclusive interview. Um, not the base case scenario, he says, recession. Uh, definitely not, Melissa. And uh, by the way, I completely disagree with the cleansing uh, qualities of a I recession. Actually, I, I brought up that point knowing that you're coming up next and you're listening to this. And it would I was sort of bristling the whole time. All right, let me just play one piece of sound from John and then I'll come back from John Williams and I'll come back. Uh, uh, Williams joined others on the Fed in saying uh, essentially that he is not anticipating a U.S. recession, even though he sees growth slowing and the Fed uh, hiking rates significantly from the current level. Recession is not my base case right now. I think the economy is, is strong. I, you know, clearly uh, financial conditions have tightened, and we're, I'm expecting uh, growth to slow this year quite a bit uh, relative to what we had last year, and actually um, you know, slow to probably one to one and a half percent GDP growth for the year. But that's not a recession. It's a slowdown. Williams said he sees the unemployment rate rising from the current 3.6 to just over 4. That would still be historically no. Uh, and he sees that the funds rate, he thinks this idea where the market is priced right now, 35 to 4% sounds reasonable to him, Melissa. And, and I just um, have always and long disagreed with this idea that, a, that there's a cleansing quality to a recession. Uh, recession is a distortion in the economy. The economy normally grows. Uh, when it doesn't grow, it's distortive just the way an asset bubble is distorted on the other side. This idea of a cleansing quality comes from the liquidationists of the 1930s who wanted uh, the Federal Reserve and the monetary authorities not to intervene in the economy and let the idea of it flushing out. It's almost a I don't want to say it. it's almost a religious idea that after the excess, you have to have an atonement process. And, and I think it's been basically proven wrong uh, in, in most economic uh, history. So in, to get back to the metaphor of the pendulum, it doesn't have to swing the other way. You can have an asset bubble and try and deflate that bubble, whether it be stock prices, the housing market, et cetera, and simply deflate it to the historic uh, norm. You know, uh, is that what history <laughs> has told us? No, no. Um, it reminds me of when Lee Raymond, uh, back in the years I was covering Exxon, said uh, the historic return on the refining business is 15 percent, but in no year has it ever been between 10 and 20. So um, I, I think the idea uh, of Josh is probably right that it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't come back normal to 15. I'm just saying uh, this is really a qualitative assessment. We may have a recession. Don't wish for it. It means people lose their jobs. People lose their livelihoods. You have distortive elements to the economy and that you should hope for, wish for. And it is possible, Melissa, to deflate an asset bubble such as we've been through without a recession. I don't know if it's the likely call. Um, I think Josh is brilliant when he looks at what the market is saying about the economy in different sectors. I'm just saying don't be wishing for a recession. I, 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 nobody is wishing. wishing for a recession. Let's get let's put that on the table very clearly. No well, one wishes Robert for Robert Kiyosaki, maybe. There's probably like There's five probably people. There's probably a handful of people out there who we do not associate with who, who actually wish for it. But we do not. Let's be clear on that. We're just saying that maybe if we get past this very quickly, the markets can then proceed to move higher. That's that's the notion of this. Jim? I, I mean, you... Well, you 
Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Steve, um, look, on this whole recession, of course nobody wants a recession, but it seems like this setup is so much more benign than 2008 or even 2000 because, number one, the banking system's in much better shape than it is then uh, was then. I would even say it's in good shape. I'm not going to back Agreed. away from that. Um, the other thing, and, and I've got Josh right here, and I'm kind of speaking to him as well. You know, when you think about the things that needed to be cleansed over the last two years, they've been cleansed. Uh, crypto, uh, meme stocks, uh, SPACs. Um, what am I missing, Josh? Well, I'm missing something. You know, those I mean, big, look, those are the big ones, right? The, a lot of it's the, being the high cleansed tech, high already. Value stocks, yeah. I mean, what, right. what are I mean, we I looking think, at I think that that's, is still in bubble I think territory. that's right. And, and let me tell you, Jim, I've done a lot of reporting to try to find the extent to which there could be leverage or other uh, fallout from the crypto blow up into the banking system. And I've been unable to find it. Hey, it looks like Steve, what's happened to crypto in, has been isolated to crypto at the moment. Same with the tech sector. So the lack of leverage this time around. And I think also before you go on talking about the challenges the economy has, which are considerable, there are also some assets out there that I think are worth considering as Steve, well. We had a short, shallow recession, comparably speaking, uh, in 2000 to 2002. Um, it started with overspending at the end of the 90s on nonsense like Y2K. Everybody double ordered all kinds of software, and that fed into a telecom bubble and a wireless bubble and a dot-com bubble and a lot of easy money. And the end result of all of that was a stock market-driven recession because none of those Y2K... Not, not quite, Josh. Josh, not quite. If you go back and read what the NBER wrote in 2001 when it declared a recession, it said that there was a NASDAQ bubble and a Wall Street bubble and it popped. Yeah. But there would not have been a recession except for the ensuing event of 9-11. That that was the shock that ultimately we would have survived that 2001 event or 2000 blow up if uh, without a recession, if not for 9-11. That's what the NBR wrote at the time. We, we, worth, we, worth we could disagree on that. But I think the bigger picture thing for our viewers is that it's possible to have a recession where right. not everybody loses their house and job. And that is one recent example within our no. lifetime. No, that's not, you wouldn't call it. You wouldn't call it a recession, Josh, if you didn't have a market. Uh, you know, for a recession to be a recession, it has to be prolonged and it has to be pronounced and it has to be pervasive. All of those things have to be true. You're not going to have a modest rise in unemployment and call it a recession. What I think you might be suggesting is that we can have the assets deflate and have, you know, a, a blow up in, the, in, the, in Wall Street without having extreme pain on Wall Street. I think that's possible. And I think that is ultimately dependent upon the leverage in the system and the extent to which you have knock-on effects, opacity, and all sorts of issues that create uh, trouble into the, into the real economy from the financial economy. You're always up for a good debate, Steve, and we appreciate it. Love Steve it. Leisman from the We're NYSC the Press. The best. Um, let's get to Phil LeBeau, who's got a news alert. Phil. Hey, Melissa, we'll talk about Tesla, which are trading near the session lows right now because a new study is out from J.D. Power. This is one of the benchmark studies in the auto industry. It's the initial quality study. And basically, 85,000 people, about that many every year, they answer a survey, what works, what doesn't work in the first three months of ownership. And the results are out. The most recent results are good news. First of all, for General Motors, take a look at the top five brands, Buick and Chevy, up there at number one and number three. Overall, as you take a look at shares of General Motors, the GM brands, they have improved on their initial quality. That's the good news for General Motors. For other automakers, this last year has not been that great. And we're going to focus on Tesla because in the past, Tesla has not been a part of the initial quality study. J.D. Powers now has enough responses from enough Tesla owners that it ranked in the lower half in terms of 
uh, relative to other brands. One of the big dings on the brand, according to owners who just bought these vehicles and just have them for the first three months, they are not crazy about the telematics within Teslas. Is that enough to mean people will think twice before ordering a Tesla? I don't think so. Don't forget that we are going to be getting Tesla's Q2 delivery numbers Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, somewhere in that range. I, my guess is probably on Saturday we'll get those. And today, both Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank brought down their expectations for Q2 deliveries, obviously because of what we've seen in China with the COVID lockdown and the reduction in production over there. So that's the story regarding the initial quality study and the results that have just come out. Melissa? What are telematics, Phil? Everything from your uh, connectivity within the vehicle, uh, whether it's using your phone, whether it's some of the other connectivity within the vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, Tesla is not alone in terms of people saying, I'm not crazy about it. This has long been a problem in the auto industry over the last decade. Uh, this is an industry that has really struggled in terms of us being comfortable with those features within a vehicle uh, either us not thinking they work well or they flat out don't work well. And it really depends on who is responding to the survey. It's important context. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Nike shares are lower after giving downbeat guidance. Stephanie Link owns it. Find out what she is doing with it right now. Halftime's back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Shares of Nike dropping today after giving a downbeat forecast. The stock is now off more than 40 percent from its 52-week high and the worst-performing stock in the Dow. Steph, you own it, and you just bought some more this morning. Why? I did, and it's a recent purchase for me, Melissa. So I found that at the time when I bought it, uh, a small position, it was already down 36%, so I thought a lot of bad news was in the stock. And I think maybe it goes a little sideways here uh, for the short term. But I think the quarter, there were things for the bulls, there were things for the bears. Bears are winning out today, which I think is absurd because the stock's already down so much. But it really depends on your time frame. Um, and I, this, I define this stock as quality on sale. First and foremost, they did beat on earnings. Revenues came in line. If you break down the regions, MIA was up 20 
5%. Asia, PAC, Latin America up 43%. North America, 5%. That's the good news. In addition to the guide, which I think was very uh, solid, uh, low double-digit guide for the full year, uh, and an $18 billion buyback. So that's all the good news. The bad news is China was down 19%. Well, I was actually thinking that China was going to be down 30 to 35% because Adidas uh, fell 35% in China, and so did VF Corp in their last quarter. So they're taking share. It's just painful right now, but that's all closure. So if you think that China is going to open, why wouldn't you want to buy this news today, right? Uh, in addition, I know gross margins were hit, but a lot of that is inventories in China and then also the freight costs, as you mentioned earlier in the show. But they had mid-single digit price increases. And so I think they're going to weather this storm quite well. And I think the stock is down. It's down and out. And I, and I kind of like the risk reward here. China is reopened. Let, I want to hit China stocks, too, because you all don't necessarily have a lot of uh, Nike exposure, but you have China exposure via U.S. stocks. And Michael Farr, I'm wondering if you think the worst could be over for China, given they are reopening, given their monetary policy stance right now is easing when the rest of the world is tightening or has tightened. And President Xi has already just vowed that he will hit economic targets for this year. No matter what. If President Xi says he's going to, yeah, if he's going <laughs> to hit those targets, I assure hit. you, uh, hey, boss, Josh is chuckling, we're all chuckling, they're going to hit those targets. This, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no question about it, or you go to the, you know, Stalag and, and you, we'll never see you again. But, you know, yeah, so a reopening China, of course, is, is very important. It's very important economically that we could begin to see this once growth engine of the global economy find some more growth again. I think is reasonable. And, you know, uh, Starbucks uh, in China, uh, I, I think, is, uh, is, was one that I own. I own Starbucks big presence in China. I, I, I like it. I think it's going to do well. And I think if you listen to Stephanie's advice over the past few months to really try to buy quality and upgrade a portfolio when they go on, these great companies go on sale, uh, if, you're not, if you're not a slave to the next trade for the next week or two, and that you can exploit the inefficiency of time, I think there's money to be made there. So the reopening of China, I think, is going to be good for the stocks that are there and also for the global economy if another wave of COVID doesn't hit. All right. Um, we're taking an intraday look at shares of Qualcomm, which are spiking right now. We'll get you the details on that story coming up next. And also we'll be taking a look at Boeing, uh, the best stock in the Dow today, the bullish call out on the stock. We'll be debate that next on the Halftime Report. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Welcome back. We want to take another check on shares of Qualcomm, which we had mentioned prior to the break. Shares are spiking right now. Um, they're up by 5.3%. Um, there's a, a tweet thread out from Ming-Chi Kuo, who is a, a noted analyst who usually, you know, we, we follow him closely for what he says about Apple, but he's talking about Qualcomm in a relationship to Apple. And he says he believes that Apple will continue to develop its own 5G chips. Um, but by the time Apple succeeds, can replace Qualcomm. Qualcomm's other new businesses should have grown enough to significantly offset the negative impacts caused by the order loss of iPhone 5G chips. So this really addresses, Jim, a big concern uh, and an argument in the bear camp. Yes, and I find myself a little frustrated that the stock moves on this news because, frankly, I think the company has already addressed this issue. Mm. Um, For the last uh, two or three quarters, I mean, Apple has barely been mentioned in the earnings releases because they have diversified towards Android and mobile telephony, but also in automotive and Internet of Things. So I kind of feel like Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest trying to be taken seriously as Josh, a Shakespearean actor, uh, but still stuck in this Star Trek uh, uh, satire or whatever you want to call it. I mean, Qualcomm just can't get away from this Apple label, even though they operationally are doing so. All right. Um, and he's citing a survey, his latest survey that that indicates this, that its own Apple's own iPhone 5G modem chip development may have failed. And so that's why they may come to rely on Qualcomm more. Um, but again, we're watching the shares continue higher. They're up by 5 percent right now. We'll continue uh, to monitor the story, bring you any developments as we have them. Meantime, let's get to shares of Boeing. They're higher today. Jeffrey's reiterating it at a buy rating, noting nearly 800 potential upcoming aircraft orders. It's one of our calls of the day. Um, back to Farmer Jim. I don't know why they call you that, by the way. I still don't. I don't know the back story. story. I don't really care. I'll about send it. you the video. Um, you own Boeing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, got to get back into character here, Mel. Um, I do own Boeing. I know Stephanie does too. And I was listening to her when she was talking about quality, and I agree with her on quality. This one has been troubling, but I yeah. think it's ready to come out. Um, the bottom line is, air, airlines need planes. The 737 Max is fuel efficient. They can only get so many A320s in the near term, so they need 737. Maxes. Beyond that, though, the immediate concern is when will the FAA allow deliveries of the 787 to resume? There's talk that that should be the middle of next month, uh, perhaps before the Farnborough Air Show. If that happens, that would be an unmitigated positive for the shares. And frankly, I think it's 787 deliveries that has been causing the stock to move higher recently. Steph, you own this one, too? I do. And yes, it has been painful, but it's a duopoly, right? And it is the 787 issues, but it's also the lack of clarity from China certifying the 737 MAX. To me, that is going to be the driver of the shares in the the medium term. I just don't, I can't tell you the timeline, but it should be ready to go. Uh, And as China reopens, I think that they'll want more airplanes and especially the 737 MAXs because their their airlines are 15 years or older in terms of their airplanes on average. Um, We want to get to the headlines here with Christina Partsinevelis. Christina. Thank you. And here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Gisela Maxwell is in a New York courtroom right now waiting to hear how much time she will spend in prison. Maxwell was found guilty last December of conspiring with her then-boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein, on multiple charges related to sex trafficking and conspiracy. The prosecution has asked for a sentence of 30 to 55 years. Maxwell is 60 years old. Senior Biden administration officials are working with Taliban leadership on a mechanism to allow Afghanistan's government to use its central bank reserves for humanitarian relief without enriching the Taliban government. This would help prevent a hunger crisis that aid groups estimate could harm millions with a food shortage. 
Airbnb is announcing a global ban on parties following a temporary restriction the company put in place two years ago. The company will permanently ban disruptive parties and events, which include open invite gatherings and party houses. Airbnb placed a ban on party houses and rolled out several safety features in 2019 after five people were killed in a shooting at one of its bookings. Halftime returns right after this. Bank stocks heading higher in today's session after a number of names in the sector raised their dividends following the Fed's stress test results. Michael, you own Goldman Sachs, and that's one that increased uh, its, its payout. And it's interesting because if you take a look at the ones that managed to increase and the ones that either didn't or increased it in a smaller amount, smaller increment, it really tells you about what those companies' business models are. The ones that are more money-centered banks, the ones that rely on deposits and loans, et cetera, really were not able to pay out as much. Right. And, you know, it's about cash flow uh, there, and it's also about profitability in their operating model. Uh, I like the banks because a lot of most everybody doesn't like the banks. Uh, higher rates give them a little bit more margin to make some money. A positive yield curve, which we don't have yet, doesn't. Uh, but we have perhaps this recession looming. It has a lot of people concerned. Credit quality at the banks has been very good, and there's a lot of liquidity. So I, I think when you have an opportunity to buy a Goldman Sachs at one times book, or close to one times tangible book, with the dividends that you have right now, I see that they're compelling. I've been very careful about the ones I own. I own PNC and I own Truist. Uh, they're both more regional banks uh, and Goldman Sachs. Uh, I'm not owning the whole category at all, and I like these in particular, and I love the dividends. Uh, Josh, you own JPM, which was the one that stood pat on its payout. Yeah, I think they actually did the right thing. If you've been listening to uh, Jamie Dimon speak publicly, he's talking about storms and hurricanes and uh, all sorts of colorful uh, imagery. But please go back one generation and recall that his bank was one of the last banks standing, one of the only financial institutions left on Wall Street that was able to throw lifelines to other firms, uh, absorb losses elsewhere, take over big brands, etc. I think, uh, heaven forbid, if we were to have some sort of um, economy-wide slowdown that got worse and became a recession, I think the banks are all fine. But I think um, the judgment of not going above a three and a half percent dividend yield, which is where J.P. Morgan stands now, like why go to four? Like no, nobody's screaming for that. It's not like they're at one percent dividend yield. So you're getting better than a 10 year Treasury right now on J.P. Morgan's equity dividend. They are prepared for whatever storm or hurricane they see coming. Plenty of loan loss reserves, plenty of balance sheet flexibility. I think what they're returning to shareholders right now is just fine. No need to go above and beyond that. Jim, you own a basket of stocks, and in the notes it says, I can't give up City yet. Uh, Why? Yeah. Well, rather talk about Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan, but unfortunately... <laughs> but we're going to talk been, about City. Those have been spoken for. No, look, City, it just continues to be a, a problem, right? And they're, they're not going to be buying back shares. 30 years they, now and counting. <laughs> <laughs> they have 4.4% they have dividend yield to the point that uh, uh, Josh was just making. At the end of the day, look, this is the sword I fall on. They trade at 60, 60% of tangible book value. That's the market's way of saying that we think Citigroup is going to lo lose gargantuan amounts of money. I just don't see it. But then again, I'm also in the growth slowdown camp, not the recession camp. And if we do have a recession, I think it's going to be short and shallow. I, it makes no sense for it to be trading at 60% of tangible book value. All right. 
energy, it's rallying today. It's still the best performing sector this year, but it's been the worst sector this month. Should you use a recent drop to buy these names? Warren Buffett is. We'll debate that next on Halftime. By the way, pairing your losses on the S&P 500 were down by 0.9 percent, so uh, headed in the right direction in terms of going to positive. Energy is the worst sector in June, down 12 percent this month, but it's still the best performing sector year to date. Credit Suisse calling the pullback an attractive opportunity. Um, Steph, you've been active in this space. Yeah, I'm, I'm double my benchmark, so I'm about 10% in my portfolio, and it's three names, and it's a barbell strategy. It's uh, Chevron, Schlumberger, and, uh, and Diamondback Energy, Schlumberger being my largest, and just two weeks ago I was adding to it um, on, on the pullback. Um, and, and it can be swift. This group has high juice to it, so you have to be patient. Chevron is just blue chip, bellwether, good dividend yield, good assets, doing the right things in terms of uh, buying back stock, increasing the dividend. Um, and I expect downstream margins are going to be quite strong when they report. Um, Schlumberger is just a hidden technology play. They make their customers much more productive and efficient. So therefore, their customers' margins can actually improve. And Schlumberger has pricing power and their margins can improve. I expect a, an increase of 200 basis points in margins this year. And then Diamondback Energy, they just continue to increase their dividends. And uh, they offered a special one a month ago. So um, they have very good, e- it's a very good EMP company, good assets as well. And all of these companies are making money at 40 to $50 oil. So uh, oil prices could pull back, but they are still minting money. Jim, you also like a barbell approach. Uh, even more of a barbell than Stephanie. So on the super speculative risky side, I've got TransOcean, Melissa. Um, you know, this is a highly levered company, but this supply-demand imbalance that we're seeing in energy is going to continue for some time. We're going to have to drill everywhere. Deep water, harsh water environment. Um, you know, TransOcean, a year, year and a half ago, had a whole bunch of new builds coming on that we were like, oh, my God, what are they going to do with these? Well, now they're going to put them to work at high day rates. Uh, and the existing rigs that they have, the day rates are going up. So this really should be a sweet spot. Uh, for TransOcean. And then on the other end of the barbell, Kinder Morgan, which has an almost 7% dividend yield, really should be a steady steady eddy dividend payer. Natural gas is the main thing that they transmit through their pipelines, and we know how important that is to the overall I prefer a, I prefer a dumbbell approach. I, re- <laughs> I really don't a think it, bell? Yeah, I, I really don't think it matters which of these names you own. Directionally, they're all going to do the same thing plus or minus 2% for maybe the faster growers. Um, But I I just don't think there's going to be much dispersion in the sector. This is a bet that crude is above 100 by the end of this year, stays there the whole time. And if, in fact, that happens to echo Stephanie and Jim, these companies all stand to make way more money than most of Wall Street thought they ever would again as recently as six months ago. So IEO is the ETF. It owns all the producers. Does not own the integrated. It's basically about American companies pulling gas and oil out of the ground and selling it for way higher prices than originally intended. Some of these names pay dividends relatively cheap compared to the market. And I like that approach because I don't want to make a mistake, have the whole sector work and own the one stock that has an accounting problem or a, a dumb CEO. So I'm in I'm in the basket. All right, straight ahead. Home building stocks making a comeback recently, but still far off their recent highs. Trades for the committee next on the Halftime Report. Sorry, just laughing at something stupid Josh said. Uh, the home builders have been <laughs> it was amusing. The home builders have been a headache for investors throughout 2022, but the group is starting to construct a comeback with the ITB ETF that tracks the space rising nearly 8% in just the last week. Um, a lot of these sort of um, 
down the supply chain plays for the investment committee. Jim, you're in Sherwin-Williams, right? And, and Home Depot. Mm-hmm. So, I, honestly, I've never owned a home builder. And they're very cyclical. I'm comfortable in some very cyclical sectors. I mean, people know I like, you know, rail car manufacturer like Greenbrier, or we were just talking about Transocean. But, you know, you pick your spots. I really don't want to be that cyclical with home building. I like Home Depot and Sherwin-Williams because whatever happens with new homes, people are still going to be buying homes and renovating them. So I'm very comfortable with these two names. Unless you're in for a prolonged slowdown or a recession, Michael Farr. And I'll go to you. Because you own Lowe's, and at the top of the show, Josh is talking about um, the beleaguered, you know, consumer discretionary names that are just getting crushed because the consumer is starting to show weakness. And he mentioned Home Depot here, and you're in Lowe's, Michael. Yeah, I am in Lowe's, Melissa. And I think, uh, as you see, maybe home sales start to slow just a little bit, given the higher rates for mortgages and people staying in their homes longer. Lowe's does well. But Lowe's, 12 times earnings and growing earnings at 12 percent with a 23, uh, 2.3% dividend. I mean, these things just get cheap. I mean, you're down 30, 33 percent off its all-time high, and people are going to continue to go and shop and do. So if the consumer is still strong enough to keep out there spending for a while, I think that this is a company that makes a lot of sense. I brought up your comments, Josh, uh, about Home Depot. Why is it that this notion that Consumers will still have homes. They'll still have to fix the leaky faucet and they'll want to reroute their tiles, et cetera. Why doesn't that work? Yeah, we, so we know historically what happens is you end up with a period of time that they've referred to as cocooning. So when the housing market slows down and the opportunity to trade up goes away because rates make it too expensive and all of a sudden there's just less turnover, less activity, you do have this phenomenon where people say, okay, well, I'm going to stay, so I might as well make this place uh, less of a dump. And they go, but so here's why that's not going to work this cycle. Because everyone you know, think about it, everyone you know in America already did that in 2020 and 2021. So we kind of like stole that from, from, from the process. So now what you end up with is probably very tough comps for the next four quarters. Home Depot and Lowe's are two of the best run companies in, in, in the world probably. Ain't going to matter. The comps are the comps. Um, I like A.O. Smith in the space, AOS. This is a company that's doing hot water boilers. I own the stock. 70% of their business is replacement. And you can't not replace a boiler, as everybody who owns a home knows. So for me, that'll be a better place to be in the housing space than something that relies on continued consumer spending that's discretionary. All right. Up next, final trades on the Halftime Report. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Tonight on Fast, we'll be talking about the best ways to play the China reopening and uh, she's economic policy. So that is tonight, 5 p.m. Eastern on Fast Money. Final trade time here in half. Farmer Jim. Okay. Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned China and I'm, uh, Wynn Resorts is my final trade, but actually not because of China. It's really because the U.S. operations doing much better than people expected. This is a case where analyst estimates have been going up during the year. And as much as we've been pillorying analysts for potentially being wrong, I don't think they're wrong in raising estimates given room rates and traffic in Las Vegas. Josh Brown. 
Uh, just actually wanted to give people a follow-up on a final trade uh, recently. FedEx is a stock I picked up in the low 200s. Uh, now it is back above both its 50-day and its 200-day. 50-day has turned up. Uh, relative strength RSI is about 62, so not overbought yet. Still has room. I am rolling up my stop, playing with the house's money. If you followed me in on this one, I suggest you do the same. Stephanie Lank. General Mills, I think the pet business is going to be strong tomorrow based on Zoetis numbers, Alonco numbers, PetSmart, Petco. So I think a 15.4% total revenue growth for pets, food service up 19%, and again, price mix at 12%. Let's see what it does to overall demand and commentary around that. Michael Farr. I'm still long FedEx. I like that. But DCI, Donaldson Companies, uh, is not a well-known one, but um, uh, growing earnings at 10%. I think it's a buy here on this pullback. I'll see you tonight. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.